Well, hello again. This is Ray Morales with The Blind Spot, and today my guest is Tim Hornick. Tim, how you doing? I am doing great, Ray. What's going on with y'all? Oh, man, I'm having a great time. I, if I was doing any better, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. We but uh, to... <laughs> um, let, let's see. Let's go ahead and get into it. And can you tell my, my listeners a little bit about yourself? So uh, my name is Tim, as you said, and a little brief history about myself is that I'm a Army veteran that served from 2002 all the way up to about 2011. I sustained a injury that resulted in my blindness around 2004, November 11th, and I stayed on active duty for about seven years. And during that entire process, it was a very interesting time to learn how to be a blind guy and whether it was something that I wanted to be accepting of, which is one of the fun parts of any time we sustain a disability or a transition point of life is how do we go through that process. And it's something that I combated for the longest time that I did not want to accept my blindness until I started to go back to school. The Army sent me to become uh, a social worker, so I went over to the University of Kansas for my master's in social work, at which time is when I really started to understand who I was, what it is I wanted to be, and more importantly, how to integrate my blindness within my life. Because until then, while in the Army, I was trying to be a sighted blind guy, which is not an easy thing to do because you're blind and you're trying to be sighted. The two generally don't go to go and mix too well together. Uh, so ultimately, uh, my wife and I got to the point where it's like, hey, we're done with the army thing. It's time for us to get out and really make our lives our own. So 2011, we uh, took our retirement from the army. And since then, I've been working for a series of nonprofits uh, and going through a variety of other educational programs as a social worker. Um, <clears throat> so right now, I am working for the Blind Veteran Association as their chief of staff. Uh, before I came here, I was working within the Department of Veterans Affairs. I did a short stint for about a year and a half as the admissions coordinator at the Western Blind Rehab Center in Palo Alto, California. And then uh, before that, I was the um, patient advocate here at the Eastern Kansas VA and a whole lot of other, I don't want to say odds and end jobs, but just a whole lot of other initiatives between that 2011, 2020 timeframe. Uh, right now I do live in uh, Lawrence, Kansas with my wife and uh, my uh, daughters. Not originally from Kansas, we're transplants. I just happened to retire out of Fort Leavenworth Originally, I'm from Southside Chicago, uh, and my wife and I just were like, hey, we're going to stay in Kansas after we did that retirement thing because it's not that bad of a place to live. So some other things I do is I'm a uh, major advocate for paracycling, especially off-road and gravel cycling, where I participated and helped get paracyclists into the uh, world-renowned uh, Unbound Gravel. It's a 200-mile race. That's uh, one of the biggest gravel races, as I said, basically in the world, along with a bunch of other type of adaptive adventures, because I do believe that as us individuals with disabilities, one of the best ways that we can help out in that transition process and looking for hope is to get involved within your communities. And the sports community is a very, very welcoming community to engage with that shows you what you're capable of and allows you to push your limits. So that's kind of a backwards and forwards way of describing who it is, where I am and where I'm going. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. 
Now let's go back and uh, we'll start with your injury. Let's uh, tell the people how you were injured. Ah, so that's always a fun one. So I was <laughs> injured in combat. Um, I said November 11th, uh, 2024. And um, so as a uh, officer in the army, uh, you would think that uh, I would, you know, be a little bit smarter, but you know, us uh, 25 year olds really don't know anybody. We don't like to listen to people. So what happened to me is uh, I was inside of a Bradley, which is one of the uh, mechanized vehicles because I was part of first cab. And uh, we were out on patrol supporting the Iraqi National Guard. You would think that me being surrounded by a uh, iron beast that I would not have to worry about getting shot by a sniper. But once again, that requires me not being a hard-headed, thick-skulled individual that, uh, you know, listen to people. So uh, what kind of happened is that, yeah, I was, shot, I was shot by a sniper. We were trying to find him because he recently shot one of my uh, one of my buddies, uh, dismounted soldiers. And we knew that the sniper was in the area and we were having no luck trying to f uh, find where they were so that we could um, take care of that situation. Right. And ultimately what happened is why was my head not within the iron beast? And that's largely because the sand really messed up the optics within the Bradleys as well as some of the other vehicles because it's so fine that it caused a little bit of distortion. So I was trying to find them while using a pair of binoculars all the turret. Um, so your yeah, head so was out of the turret. It was, it was, but fortunately it's hard enough. My head, it's filled with a lot of hot air. So <laughs> it didn't cause any brain damage or anything. At least not that I am going to admit to you. I've always been this quirky. Um, but uh, yeah, well, so the bullet. Explain, explain the injury. You're shot in the head. I mean, come on, there has to be some damage. <laughs> Oh, of course they're damaged. It's damaged my pride, my ego. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it, it went through the left temple and exited out the right eye. Basically, the left optical nerve got severed and the right uh, globe was perforated. And the amazing thing is that I did get some vision restored out of my right eye, thanks largely to the uh, team, the medical team that was there in Baghdad in 2004. Some folks might remember the HBO series Baghdad ER. Right. While my situation was not a part of that series, I will say that those are the medical teams that were providing treatment because I was right there. So um, Dr. Ava Hutchins was the uh, ophthalmologist that did the uh, surgery to stitch back the right eye. And then the team over at Wolford Hall in San Antonio uh, was the team that did all my follow-up care when my wife and I uh, got back together after uh, being uh, med back to the U.S. and repositioned ourselves back at Fort Hood, which is now called uh, Fort Cavallos um, there in uh, Texas. Right. Um, so that's outside of Lubbock. Uh, it's Colleen. Oh, Colleen. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Just just south of Waco. So uh, those that uh, you know remember the uh, the little White House um, that President Bush had over outside of Waco. Uh, we were that's just right south of where he was. So actually, any time that uh, Bush uh, flew in to go and visit his. Uh, his uh, beautiful estate that he has up there, he would always fly into uh, Fort Hood, uh, which uh, during that time period, I actually was stationed over on West Fort Hood with Operational Test Command. So um, 
Uh, many of times my roads that's right outside of my building that I was working at got locked down so his motorcade could roll through after uh, after uh, his stuff landed. So Right. I know that's a big thing when president or vice president comes to town, they shut down everything. Ah, and that's an understatement. Yeah. They... <laughs> <laughs> so um, how long were you in? Um, did you go to Walter Reed or did you stay at Wilford Hall? How did you do that? So Walter Reed was literally just a uh, handful of days. And that was to first and foremost, just make sure that I was stabilized. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, there really wasn't any trauma centers for ocular injuries. Not saying that there weren't, but there really wasn't any. So when we talk about injuries coming out of the uh, recent conflicts, we always hear about the amputee center of excellence, uh, the intrepid center for the burns, TBI. We hear about all these center of excellence for folks with these injuries were able to gather. Walter Reed was one of the biggest ones for burns and uh, for amputees, along with the folks over there in San Antonio at uh, BAMSI uh, for TBIs and burns as well. So they had these centers of excellence that were fantastic for a lot of the injuries, except for us with just ocular injuries, because it's like, what do you do with the, you know, and not to say that it's a small injury. I mean, blindness, as we all know, is an absolute uh, horrifying experience, especially for those who are just getting into it. Oh, it's but devastating. It it is. But but yet when we look at uh, you know how we're handled, we're always handled as part of the group that's like we really don't have too much for you, um, especially when you're done with all the treatments. It's like, what are we going to do with you? We're just going to shove you off somewhere else because. Outside of that piece, it's like no one knows what to do with us. So actually, my time in Walter Reed, um, you know, they put me up on the uh, OBGYN uh, floor because it's like, <laughs> yeah, you're a blind guy. All the other units were full. And it's like, well, we don't know what to do with you. We're going to drop you off over there. Um, and, you know, little caveat is my undergrad degree. I did um, get my ROTC scholarship uh, to become a nurse, which Ultimately, I did not finish that degree because I'm not a nurse. Um, I'm a social worker instead. So a lot of my buddies that were nurses uh, were either there over in Launchstool or over there in Walter Reed. So they were able to hook us up and help us out during that entire process. Well, um, but again, that's just because if you know people. But ultimately, yeah, there wasn't anything. So there was like, hey, where do you want to go? We're like, uh, you know, is there any any place close to uh, to Fort Hood? Um, and they're like, yeah, it's one, It's actually Wolford Hall was the ophthalmology training center for Air Force. So it's like, hey, yeah, send us there. We'll go through all of our uh, stuff there. And it was actually a joint type of uh, situation back then even. So the guy that uh, worked on my ocular, um, you know, facial reconstruction type stuff, which there wasn't a lot of damage. There was some. He was an Army guy, Colonel Hulk. The guy that did my eyes, uh, Dr. Gary Lane, was an Air Force doc and yeah, I had a whole bunch. I had some Navy folks uh, float in. So it was a really good experience, but it's different than where it is today. Today, we got actually four ocular trauma centers within the Department of Defense, thanks to a lot of the advocacy work by the Blind Veterans Associations to get that established. Yeah, uh, so the, it's hope it's it's all we can do. Whether or not the DOD and the Defense Health Agency actually does anything with it, that's a separate conversation. But <laughs> it actually is within regulations that the DHA has to have these ocular trauma centers. So we as individuals who sustain an ocular trauma as a result of our um, service has 
the experts that can give us the care, which, yeah. So it's it's getting better, but back then it was, it was fragmented, which is why so much of my story is fragmented because there wasn't any good pathways for us for the longest time, like, unlike today, which, right. disclaimer, it hasn't improved too much, but it has improved. Well, at least it's improving. That's it a is. good thing. And thanks a lot to the BVA for doing their work. Yeah, we try. We try. It's all we can do. Uh, it, it's so hard to push uh, uh, DOD and DHA folks uh, to do the right thing. It's like it's hard to get the VA to do the right thing. And it's even harder for us to get our elected officials to do the right thing. Because not saying that they're all you know self-serving, but yeah, they're, <laughs> they all got their uh, they all got their interests and us. And I'm not talking about us as blind veterans, but us as blind population in general, we're right. not exactly one of the ones that um, actually perks their interest list. So. We're not the squeakiest wheel. No, we're not. We're not. We're not sexy individuals. We're not the <laughs> shiny. Uh, hey, you could you could see a blind person from a mile away. We're not that disability. Most of us, you don't realize we're blind until we run right into you. So. Yeah, but. that seems to be the saddest part of the whole thing is we don't get the recognition that we need when it comes to funding and um, help. So we just have to be a little more squeaky, I think, to get the grease. We we do, which is why, you know, I love what you've been doing uh, here at the Blind Spot Code. It's like, you know, you're highlighting all these different stories and you're trying to bring up all these different topics within our community because people need to know this type of information is not readily available and you know, look at your experience during the sight loss process. I mean, how long did it take for you to finally understand and realize what's available out there for you related to treatments for your visual impairment, rehabilitation for your visual impairment? You know, was there any gap or loss in time before? Yeah. There was, there's a whole five years before I even went to Heinz. Yeah. So um, right. it was, it was tough. And, and I like, had a lot know, of bad habits I had to unlearn. <laughs> it, I'll agree with you because that was one of my things is it's like, you know, I, I really didn't have that connection. Uh, with a slight caveat to this is, you know, when I first I first went to Waco Blind Rehab in uh, 2005, you know, less than six months after getting injured. Mm -hmm. But I was not ready for that. And that was way too early in my process. And so... And I didn't really have anyone that followed up with me between 2005 and 2010. Um, so similar to you, you got that five-year process, five-year period. And it's just like, it's it's kind of the fragmented system that you know we face as blind individuals. So it's, it's like, it's, we can only do so much because the knowledge, the information it, it is out there, but it's not in a way that we commonly are able to find it quickly. Case managers, especially civilian ones, you know, those folks are, there really is not much out there. The states try to have some program out there that's really underfunded and horribly, um, horribly staffed and trained. Uh, there's a lot of nonprofits that's providing blind rehab, but once again, their outreach is, they're only able to touch less than 3% of all blind individuals with their services and information and knowledge. 
Um, fortunately, within the VA, we, there actually is that lifelong case management system through Blind Rehab Services Continuum of Care. They try their best, but if you don't know about them or if your other VA providers don't link you into them, you don't know about them. And this is just right. the state of blindness in this country. That's true. Um, I, that's why I'm so uh, so glad I started this podcast, because like you said, it's getting the word out that there are blind veterans and they're, they're able to tell their story. And uh, I think everybody has a story. They're just uh, they're either too shy or they just don't know who to tell about it. Well, anyway, let's shift gears. I know we've got to make this short because you've got another appointment. But um, so tell me about your family life. You said you're married. Do you have any yep. children? Yes, I got two kids. I got a 13-year-old and a five-year-old daughter. Oh, that's, uh, that's a big gap. Yeah, that, that that is a big gap. I'm happy to have my daughters. They're absolutely fantastic. Um, and uh, my wife and I, just like anyone else, uh, you know, we've had our good days. We've had our bad days. Uh, we've both gone through our own experiences and this uh, adventure through loss and acceptance because uh, one of the things that I think gets uh, kind of put on the side burner or if addressed at all is the uh, reactions and the coping of our family members that goes through this. Because my wife and I, we've been married for 20 years, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the majority of that 20 years, I've been blind. Fortunately, we both have a strong medical background uh, because we both were trying to become nurses. Uh, But ultimately, after my injury occurred, we were both we were both in the army and it was, hey, your career is now going to have to take a back seat. But she basically got told from her command uh, because you need to care for your husband, at which point she's just like. Sorry about that. Um, No problem. She was just like, ah. what do you mean? It's she, she, she knew that she was going to do it. She, she, it's not that she was resentful of having to do it, but it's its own coping strategies. It's the own, her own processes that she had to go through while I was going through my own transition processes with accepting my loss. And I'll just say there's a lot of maladaptive behaviors that I was doing. Not going to die that one bit, just not going to go into too much details um, <laughs> about some of those behaviors. Just understand that it's a common part of this process. And she had her own maladaptive behaviors that she did. Um, you know, none of them were illegal or illicit or anything like that. It's just, they're just, you know, maladaptive. They were just not the best way to adapt to the situation. Um, and we tossed that onto the fact that uh, she got tossed rear detachment command uh, three times, which one thing I'll say is it's a whole lot easier to getting deployed into combat than it is to be assigned to be a rear detachment commander. Because talk about getting the short end of the stick. You are getting it from every end possible and you are never going to do good things good enough for everyone that you're in charge of as a rear detachment commander. And right. that's the experience that she had in her career in the, in the army. Because again, she did it three times during this, during this process of us trying to figure out who we were as me as a blind person, her as my wife of a husband who is blind. So the cause for her to get out of the military is one, she just lost she, all the, all of her joys and excitement that she had coming into the military went out the window with the rear detached command. And two, we found out that she was pregnant with our uh, with our oldest daughter 
And she was like, I'm done. See ya. I'm going to have more fun doing this. So she, uh, she promptly acted it. And, um, you know, and never since then, we've put family first uh, within right. our lives, which has okay. been one of those transition points of us of how are we adapting? What are we prioritizing? I've been prioritizing family, which is why, you know, we got out of the military. I had orders. I had my promotion orders, uh, had orders to DC, uh, orders to be a uh, promotion to major. And where it's like, you know, that's not the life that we want. So that's why we retired. Um, and since then, in that stretch uh, between, uh, you know, when I was, um, when I retired and before I started working for the VA, you know, I've had several other opportunities um, to go and, you know, work with different organizations and entities, some of them back in DC, some in other places where, because it did not align with what I was trying to do with my family and where our values were. It's like, you know, we just passed by uh, different opportunities because it's not who we want as a family and how we want it to be. So it's, that's been the best part of my life. I would have to say just, and the, and the one that, as a, the part that gives me my happiness, which is what is the hardest piece of learning during that transition process is what makes you happy? What makes you excited to be who you are? Disabilities, everything aside. Right. You've got to have some kind of purpose, right? Yeah, you do. And uh, so what rank did you get? Did you retire as a captain? Yeah. Yeah. I got out as a captain. And... Okay. And your wife, what, what rank did she reach? Captain. Captain also. Yep. Cool. All right. So, um, well, I was just an airman. <laughs> <laughs> I never made it into officers. <laughs> and, and so this is the fun part of the military where it's like, we like yeah, why, why folks join um, in a different pathways. Mine was because right. I wanted to go to college and they were offering scholarships. And this was the nineties. So I took advantage of that. <laughs> there, there was no, there was no love for patriotism really in the nineties for the military. It was, you know, be all you can be uh, two weeks a month or, you know, one week in a month, two weeks a year. Right. And you pay for your school. I mean, that, that's a no brainer. Yeah. Why not? It gets me out of Chicago. I didn't want to exactly, uh, you know, work. Uh, I was working construction and other uh, jobs. I didn't want to do that. So it's like, hey, I want to take advantage of it. And I don't know if your story is similar, but it's. it's it was No, a time actually, mine's different, but um, <laughs> similar, but the same. Gotcha. Because you're a military family, right? Yeah. My, my whole family was uh, military. My father, my stepfather. Yeah. Uh, so that, you know, I knew at an early age, that's what I wanted to do. My yeah. dad, he served in World War II and, uh, and Korea. And yeah. then, uh, so I, I knew early on, that's what I wanted to do. And uh, when I went in, I had all intentions of uh, staying in as a lifer. Mm-hmm. But um, had some bad supervisors, especially yep. the last one. And I said, I'm, I'm done after six years. I'm, I'm out of here. So then I uh, went into the civilian world and yeah, here I am. No, it's, it's so often that that's the truth. I mean, that's what, one reason why my wife left is because, you know, one, as I said, she got it from all ends. And one of them is she had just had a really bad set of supervisors. Um as you know, being a rear detachment. And actually that's part of my, one of my reasons why I got out as well as not just because I didn't want to go to DC with my family, but my uh, supervisor at Fort Leavenworth 
um, said, no, I am not going to allow you to be reassigned to become a social worker within the army, that they did not think that I could do it. They wanted, they just wanted to hold on to me and funnel me in the way that they thought uh, my career should go. And so they, you know, they kind of blocked a couple of opportunities I developed for myself within the uh -huh. army. And, you know, I even had approval from, you know, the folks that was trying to pick me up and bring me into the social work world. So it's, once again, it's fun to see how supervisors doesn't matter. I mean, we hear this in the civilian world as well, these same horror stories of toxic leaderships, especially with us with disabilities, right. uh, saying our values on what you can do does not match your values of what you can do. So we're going to ruin your life for you. Or we're going yeah, to- Yeah, that's what I couldn't understand. They said they care about you and then they want to ruin your life. Yep. I tried to cross train out of my career field uh, into a similar career field. I was a dental tech, which mm -hmm. meant, you know, I did everything from taking x-rays to working chair side. And then I wanted to get into the dental lab to make dentures and crowns yeah. and stuff like that. And uh, they, they were short at, at the Air Force base that I was at. And uh, so I, I went to my commander and he, he approved it. I went yeah. to um, and later on, I had to go to the base commander. But uh, my supervisor, my immediate supervisor, did not approve of it. Yeah. And so um, there I sat. I was very disgruntled and I wanted out. Yeah. So I, you know, turned a really good career airman <laughs> into a uh, nonconformist and uh, rebel. Yeah. Something that pays ways later on in life. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Especially as we develop our disabilities, because it's like, yeah, those are traits that really helps us because that allows us to start reaching out beyond ourselves and really start making trouble. Sometimes good trouble, sometimes bad trouble, but trouble nonetheless that we learn from and are able right. to grow from. Well, are you are you familiar with Anthony Woodson? Yeah. Yep. Yep. I am. Well, I, I am. I just got acquainted with him uh, about a month ago or maybe two. And uh, so now I'm going to be working with him. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be the vice president of the Illinois chapter here of the yep. BVA. Yep. Yep. Which is fantastic. I do. Uh, I, I, I've known Anthony for a number of years when he first came on. Uh, he, used to, uh, he used to do a, uh, a monthly uh, leadership series, educational series for the BVA when I was a member of the board of directors. Uh -huh. And um yeah, I remember when he came on board and just started learning, and he's done an absolutely great job taking off there. He's also one of our great ambassadors uh, up there at the Heinz uh, BRC, doing a lot of good work with uh, being that uh, that mentor for so many uh, blind veterans that's going through uh, Heinz. So it's like right. he's doing a great job up there. Right. So um, anyway, I'm, I'm looking forward to working side by side with him, and uh, it's going to be great. It is. Well, I know you've got to go. It's getting close. Yeah. Um, so let's wrap this up. It's been a half an hour and let's do a part two. I'd really like to get more into getting to know you better and let my listeners um, hear more about your story. Oh, yeah. Not too easy. And I'd love to go and start talking about just uh, some of the other fun things that folks get involved with, where if you follow me on uh, uh, definitely I'm more prolific on Twitter and Facebook than anything else. You could just see some of the other fun parts of who I am. Uh, which is, it's, there's a lot of cool things that we can do as blind people. And it's just trying to find how and those avenues to do it. So 
I'll, well, I'll go ahead and give a, a cliffhanger. Go ahead and give my <laughs> listeners um, some of those addresses um, so they can reach you on Twitter. Uh, and... Now you, not now you. Um, I'd say if there's only one Tim Hornick, H-O-R-N-I-K, that's really out there. Okay. And um, all, all my stuff will have something related to BVA um, related to it. So, I mean, if you're searching, uh, especially on Twitter, searching for Tim Hornick um, on Twitter, yeah, I'm, I'm usually pretty easy to find. Uh, Facebook, it's a little bit different story um, just because there's a few more uh, Hornicks out there. And more importantly, it's more of a, more of a fun family type of account. But if you go and follow BVA uh, on Facebook, you'll see some of my stuff pop up from time to time over there. So Okay, sounds good. All right, well, um, and then they can also email you if they have questions about the BVA or something? Yep. Yeah, you can just email uh, uh, T-H-O-R-N-I-K at BVA.org. That's uh, my BVA email address. Um, as well as go to the BVA.org in general and sign up for our newsletter where you can receive announcements because I host our Vet Tech series. That's a weekly educational program talking about assisted tech. Wednesdays, we have formal presentations uh, from top uh, AT uh, developers and manufacturers and such like that, like OrCam and Vespero. And we got some cool stuff coming up. Uh, for like adaptive hiking next week, uh, adaptive hunting next week. And then on Thursdays, I do a, a, a vet tech talk where it's more of a peer support style assistive technology training session because I am a blind rehab specialist that focuses on technology training aside from being a, a social worker. So it's tapping cool. different parts of who I am. Great. So that's vet tech, right? Yep. That would be the vet tech uh, under the BVA. Okay. Well, um, I think you may know somebody that um, I know in uh, in Illinois here. His name is um, oh gee, now I forgot. <laughs> oh well, it's it. What is his name? I can't think. <laughs> I have those little blank spots every now and then from since my stroke. It's really easy yep. to forget. Yeah. So I didn't have a TBI, but um, yeah, I guess a stroke is a mild form of a TBI. Yes, it is. Yep, it is a uh, acquired TBI, but how it affects the different parts of your brain, that's the part that makes it a very unique condition that it affects everyone differently. So there's no right or wrong, simplified answer on what's up type deal. Right. And that's how I lost my sight was through that stroke. Which is part of your brain. It's, yeah. In fact, <laughs> It's th those nerve endings uh, that goes from your uh, visual cortex, you know, cervical lobe over to the eyes. Those are the longest nerve endings in your entire body. There's no other nerve endings that have that length to cover. And we also have to rem remember that the majority of our brain is used for processing of visual information, interpretation of it. So it doesn't take too much for one of those little neurons to, you know, get affected to really screw up our vision. Exactly. Most people don't understand that. Um, when I mentioned that, that it was because of a stroke, I lost my vision. They go, really? I've never heard of that. <laughs> it's one of the mo more uh, common common um, ways of being able to diagnose. In fact, we see it as people are having a stroke. So, but. All right, okay, Tim. I, well, I don't want to keep you any longer because you do have that appointment coming up. Yep, so, um, so it's been a pleasure. You too, Thanks sir. for getting back with me, my friend, and uh, <laughs> no let's do this again real soon. Oh, we are. We are, and I appreciate that, Ray. Okay. Right. Thank you so Cheers, much, Ray. Tim. Appreciate Bye. you.
All right, folks, this has been Ray Morales again with The Blind Spot. You can find us every week with a new episode and a new veteran. So please come back. If you need to contact me, my email is theblindspot298 at gmail.com. That's theblindspot298 at gmail.com. Also, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Again, thank you so much for listening. See you next week.